This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. A warrior unprepared, not covered, not ready for battle, not only becomes at risk in his own life, but he puts other troops at risk also. Don't ever think that your life is lived solitarily without effect on the other people that are around you, beloved, because every man, every woman, every young person, your life impacts others around you, and when the enemy is having an impact on your life, it filters into the lives of those around you. In today's message, we hear a speech General Patton gave as preparation for the Allied invasion in France. The speech was to mentally prepare the soldiers for what was ahead. A warrior unprepared puts himself and those around him at risk. Likewise, we need the Word of God as our preparation for the battles that are ahead of us. When we hide God's Word in our hearts, we put on the full armor of God, making us able to fight off the fiery darts of the enemy's attack. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 10. For part one of our message entitled, Words of a Warrior. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. The language of a warrior is, is different. It's, it's a different language than, say, a, a teacher or a homemaker has. The language of a warrior is different than an office worker. or he's, it's, different than, well, it's different than just about anyone else. When Paul wrote to the churches, he often wrote with the words of an experienced warrior dealing with spiritual warfare, but a warrior nonetheless. It's the way that he wrote also to the church in Corinth. When he wrote to the church in Corinth, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 when he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. He speaks as an experienced soldier. He writes also to young Timothy, an inexperienced pastor, and he writes these words to Timothy in Second Timothy chapter 2. He says, You therefore must endure hardship, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Paul wrote with the knowledge and with the understanding of of what it meant to be involved in spiritual warfare, a warfare that, that comes against the spirit, that comes against the emotion and comes against the very physical well-being of the warrior. Paul wasn't ignorant of those things, and he shared also with the Corinthian church about some of the battles that he had been in in the midst of all of this warfare. He writes to that church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. For those of you today, that's with rocks, okay? They they threw rocks at him. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in the perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, 
in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily and my deep concern for all of the churches. Paul wasn't the kind of general that would stay far away in some uh, safe resort sending out messages to his troops. Paul was a front-line general right there with his troops. And as a matter of fact, he remained on the front line until his death in the midst of that battle. It was back on June 5th, 1944. The United States Third Army had gathered together in the fields of England. They were ready. They were right there on the eve of the Allied invasion into France. And as they were waiting, they waited for the revival of America's fightingest general, Lieutenant General George S. Patton. He also went by the name of Old Blood and Guts. He himself was going to address the troops to engage them in the preparation for the battle that they were going to face that very next day. There was this anxious anticipation among all of the troops that were there. Number one, yes, because General Patton was going to be there that afternoon to speak to the troops, but also because they knew that the next day, many of them may lose their lives. Many of them may be wounded. They're going to be meeting the enemy face on. Today, you and I are also in a battle. If you name the name of Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in the midst of a battle. It's a spiritual battle. But because of the seriousness of that battle that you and I are facing, there's just a couple of excerpts from General Patton's address to the troops I want you to hear today. Now, you need to understand that, that Patton spoke, uh, uh, he, when he spoke, he spoke pretty simple. He spoke down to earth. As a matter of fact, he spoke very earthy. When I look at these things, uh, most of the words that he used in his speech to the troops, uh, they're not fit for the venue. Well, there was a whole lot of editing I had to do, okay, as I bring you this. I'm, I'm thankful to a website called PattonHQ.com where I got most of this information this morning in reference to General Patton's speech. Province writes that as General Patton stood before these men, many of them were fresh on the ground from the United States. They were new recruits. They hadn't faced uh, the enemy in battle yet. And he spoke to each one as if he was speaking into the heart of each man personally. After a really quick introduction, Patton rose and he walked swiftly to the microphone. The men snapped to their feet. They stood silently. Patton surveyed the sea of brown with this grim look and, and said, be seated. The words weren't a request. It was a command. As one man, they all sat back down in their chairs. The general's voice had boomed loud and clear over the microphone. It says, men, you are here today for three reasons. First, because you are here to defend your homes and your loved ones. Second, you're here for your own self-respect because you would not want to be anywhere else. And third, you're here because you are real men and all real men like to fight. When you here, every one of you were kids, you all admired the champion marble player, the fastest runner, the toughest boxer, the big league ball players, the all-American football players, because Americans love a winner. 
Americans will not tolerate a loser. Americans despise cowards. Americans play to win all of the time. That's why Americans have never lost nor ever will lose a war, for the very idea of losing is hateful to an American. Patton paused and he looked over the crowd. He says, you're not all going to die. Only 2% of you right here today would die in a major battle. But death must not be feared. Death in time comes to all men. Yes, every man is scared in his first battle. If he says he's not, he's a liar. The real hero is the man who fights even though he is scared. But a real man will never let his fear of death overpower his honor, his sense of duty to his country, and his innate manhood. Remember that the enemy is just as frightened as you are, and probably more so. They are not supermen. But alertness must be bred into every soldier. I don't care one bit for a man who is not always on his toes. A man must be alert at all times if he expects to stay alive. If you're not alert, sometimes the enemy is going to sneak up behind you and beat you to death. Patton's grim expression didn't change as he continued. He says there's 400 neatly marked graves somewhere in Sicily. He roared into the microphone, all because one man went to sleep on his job. He paused and the men grew silent. He said, but these graves are the enemy's graves because we caught them asleep. The general clutched the microphone tightly and his jaw out thrust and he continued. He said an army is a team. It lives, it sleeps, it eats, and it fights as a team. This individual heroic stuff is garbage. Those who write that kind of stuff for the Saturday Evening Post don't know anything about real fighting under fire. Patton stopped and the crowd waited. He continued then more quietly. All of the real heroes are not storybook combat fighters either. Every single man in this army plays a vital role. Don't ever let up. Don't ever think that your job is unimportant. Every man has a job to do and he must do it. Every man is a vital link in the great chain. What if every truck driver suddenly decided that he didn't like the whine of the shells going overhead and he turned yellow and jumped headlong into a ditch? The coward could say, oh, they, they, they won't miss me, just one man in thousands. But what if every man thought that way? Where would we be now? What would our country, our loved ones, our homes, even the world be like at that point? No, Americans don't think like that. Every man does his job. Every man serves the whole. Every department, every unit is important in the vast scheme of this war. The ordnance men are needed to supply the guns and the machinery of war to keep us rolling. The quartermaster is needed to bring up food and clothes. Every last man on KP has a job to do. It's interesting how the elements of war really don't change through the years or even depending what kind of war it is. The demands and the needs of the warriors never change. The words of Patton and the words of Paul 
They parallel together in the seriousness of what they speak to the troops. Their call for alertness, the the call for working as a single unit, our need to stand beside each other, the honor and the joy of fighting well, and just as Patton, Paul has this deep concern for his troops. He knew that they were going into battle and that the battle would be fierce. So Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil days, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We looked at verses 10 through 12 last week in a message titled, Man Your Battle Stations. So this week we're going to move on forward with the words of a warrior. As General Paul encourages his own troops in in further preparation for the battle, we begin in verse 13. Paul wrote, Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Paul knew that it was important that you be completely dressed and completely prepared for the battle that you're going to be facing because a warrior unprepared, not covered, not ready for battle not only becomes at risk in his own life, but he puts other troops at risk also. Don't ever think that your life is lived solitarily without effect on the other people that are around you, beloved, because every man, every woman, every young person, your life impacts others around you, and when the enemy is having an impact on your life, it filters into the lives of those around you. And Paul says we are called to stand and to withstand Stand your ground firmly and withstand the attacks of the enemy. And we can't do that on our own, in our own strength, in our own abilities. We have to be armed with that armor of God, and we have to stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul understood the great importance of standing strong against the enemy's attack. There could be no surrender without losing everything. Do you understand that? That when we surrender to the enemy, we lose everything. Our enemy, the enemy of our souls, is not concerned with taking any POWs. He's come to completely kill, to totally steal, and to thoroughly destroy, and he takes no prisoners. Paul says we need to withstand in the evil day. That that day isn't just some day in the future where there's going to be some great and intense battle that we need to be gearing up for. That evil day can happen at any time, and the enemy is not waiting for you to get your act together. 
As I said last week, he comes like a prowling lion. And he looks for whom he can devour. And if you're not ready for it, guess what? You're a prime target for the enemy's attack. And I know that for some of you, that evil day possibly happened even just this last week as the enemy hurled all kinds of his arsenal of those fiery arrows into your life with that intent to destroy you. For some of you, maybe it wasn't last week, but you know what? It could be this week that the enemy comes into your life in in a way harder and stronger than you can even begin to imagine. Are you in a position to be able to withstand in that evil day? To withstand, it it does have that meaning of being able to survive, to be able to endure the hardships, able to tolerate this continual onslaught of the enemy. But it also has the idea of opposing in an offensive way. We're to stand against the enemy, but not in a passive way. We need to be in an active and aggressive way against the enemy. You know what? We are the ones who are supposed to be taking ground of the enemy, not the enemy taking ground from us. We should be storming the very gates of hell. Paul goes on to describe this armor of God so necessary in our lives to assist us in the midst of this battle. He uses the descriptions of the Roman soldiers' battle gear. It's interesting. He doesn't list it from the most important down to the least important. He lists it actually as kind of the Roman soldier would be dressing himself. Again, the, the preparation of even perhaps even watching and seeing how a Roman soldier prepares himself. He says in verse 14, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This first item that Paul lists, girding your waist with truth. Some of your versions say putting on the belt of truth. This belt or this sash that that went around the soldier's waist, it it girded up or, or drew up his other garments out of the way so that he could be free to move, free to run, free to, again, spin around if, if necessary without his other garments being in the way. But what is that belt of truth? Some of them, some folks would say, well, the, the truth is the gospel message, that we need to be girded up or belted up with that gospel message. But I want to submit to you today that it has more to do with the believer's life and the believer's character. Is he or she an individual of truth and faithfulness? Let me ask you, can the Lord and others depend upon you for truthfulness? for integrity in your life? Are you girded with truth in your character? The sad thing that I know is that there are many who claim the name of Christ, and yet they are not girded about with truth. They are not truth tellers. Their lives, unfortunately, don't have the integrity that they should have as believers. He goes on to speak about the breastplate of righteousness. Although I I understand that our righteousness as a believer. Our righteousness comes from Christ. He is our righteousness. I understand that and I know that. But here Paul says to a believer, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. I believe it's something more than, again, what we receive as we come as redeemed characters. I believe that as a redeemed man, I ought to have the attitude, I ought to have the heart of and the, and the, the thoughts of, of understanding 
We need to be doing the right thing, speaking the right thing, and even thinking the right thing. We need to have on that breastplate of righteousness. That needs to be a part of who we are as believers as we go into this severe battle. Is there a righteousness within you? No, I'm not talking about the righteousness of Christ. I'm talking about your righteousness, the choices that you and I make. When the Word of God says, no, you need to put off every sin that besets you. There's a responsibility in our lives to put off those things and to put on these others, this breastplate of righteousness. How easy it is for some believers to claim the righteousness of Christ in their lives and then they excuse their sin as simply being a a part of the flesh that they have to deal with. Oh, sorry, you know, after all, I am just flesh and blood. You know what is flesh and blood? You need to be making the right decisions. You need to be making the right choices. You need to have the right attitude that's going to glorify your Father in heaven. Paul isn't speaking about the justification that comes with our conversion. He's calling for that ongoing work of sanctification being worked out in our lives through the practice of our lives, through those correct choices. You and I are called to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Next we come to the soldier's foot gear in verse 15. It says, and, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. No, Roman soldier's foot gear was unique for its time frame. The Roman soldiers, more than soldiers of any other nation during that time, paid greater attention to the foot gear of their warriors. And because of that, because the Roman soldiers had good, well-thought-out, well-planned footgear, they were able to easily move about. They had great stability during battle, even in a rocky place, and they had protection for their feet. After all, without good footgear, an army would easily be defeated. That summer day in England back in 1944... A lot of those troops that day, as they stood there before General Patton, a lot of them were new recruits. A lot of them had never faced battle of of any kind at all. But prior to their time of coming over to England, prior to them coming on that Allied invasion into France, they had been spending weeks of intense preparation for battle. The rigors and the stress that they faced during boot camp, it was simply a small taste of what they were going to encounter during actual battle conditions. And yet it was preparation that was so necessary for them in order that they might meet the enemy and not completely fold over. It's in the same way that you and I need to be prepared to meet the enemy. And that preparation comes from having a good understanding of the Word of God to support our lives. The preparation of the gospel of peace needs to be a part of our lives right now and even before we enter into these severe battles. It can only come 
As you and I have this constant preparation within the Word, only then are we going to know the peace that passes all understanding. As you and I are in the Word, we're reading the Word, we're studying the Word, we know more of God, we know the greatness of God, we see the majesty of God, we see how God has moved in the past, and the understanding that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that He continues to work in the hearts and the lives of those that live love Him, and He will stand as our shield, as our defense, as our strong fortress, so that as we understand that, and we understand as we read it, we understand a little bit more about ourselves. We understand the great need in our life, but we can also understand that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We can understand that we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Although The Open Word teachings are always available to you free of charge, if you'd like to help support this ministry, simply log on to the website TheOpenWord.com and click on the support link to make a secure donation to this teaching ministry. Your donation can be set up as a one-time or regular scheduled tax-deductible gift. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.